Hi there, come up on the porch. We're just sitting here watching it rain and talking about Louisiana. I'm Bruce McGee. And I'm Steve Payne. And this is the Louisiana Anthology Podcast, episode 561, for February 17th, 2024. Welcome back. Today we finished our chat with Kelly Jackson on part two, and this is actually um, the second time she's been on the podcast. I think it was a two-parter before. She's uh, talked to us for four hours, and I think we could go for another four if we had uh, time, you know, because she's so fascinating to talk to. Yeah, especially you got somebody doing a doc, you know, a historical documentary, documentary yeah. like this. Yeah, and if you're uh, interested, you can go back in the first, time we talked, or not last week, but a few few years back, uh, we talked about the Cane River Film Festival, which is, uh, you know, a newer, although it's been, what, six years now? It's, it's uh, been around a while at this point. Um, but she started it and has been the um, kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, person keeping that going. And uh, we really appreciate that. And so you can go back and listen to that and hear this uh this week and last week, we've been talking about Resurrection Fern, the life and times of Marie-Therese Coincoin, who was the um, kind of a founding mother of the Matoyer family. So, um, you know, there have been these uh, Cane River Creoles. How, did you say there were 10,000 uh, uh, of I them? Could, I, yeah, I could believe it because you think about that seven generation. You know, she's a yeah. seven generation great-granddaughter. Uh, great but, yeah, I could believe that, absolutely. And at this point, I mean, you have a lot of them still in the area, but they've moved beyond. And I think, um, I think that um, Kelly grew up in um, uh, California. California, which was yeah. a common destination. Apparently, uh, trains going east and west. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, black families leaving um, the south would take the westbound train and wind up in maybe Los Angeles, or take the northbound train and wind up in Chicago. So uh, there's mm-hmm. these. Plenty of Louisiana connections, like there's like a little Louisiana colony where folks kind of keep up with what's going on back home. So anyway, we'll be looking forward to finishing our chat with Kelly in a few moments. But first, this week in Louisiana history. Yeah, so this week in Louisiana, kind of a momentous day. February 17th, 1805, New Orleans is incorporated as a city. So it would have, I guess, been the only one, would it it, would have have been the only one at that time or was Natchitoches yet a city? Well, here's the thing. This was an American uh, deal, so um, it may be that uh, New Orleans was the first Louisiana, uh, you know, Louisiana purchase thing to actually formally go through incorporation. It doesn't seem to have been as much of a deal for the French or the Spanish. Um, although I guess back home they probably have mayors, don't they? But anyway, they didn't have one here. They just had a governor, and. Um, you know, um, uh, so this is part of Americanizing New Orleans, right? Is that we're going to have a regular city charter. And I actually <laughs> it lost me about an hour with the show notes. I decided I wanted to find that thing, uh, the act, and I haven't not been able to find it yet. It's very frustrating. I'm, I bet it's somewhere, but you know, what is that act? What was what was the wording exactly? Was it enough? 
French and English. I want both. You know, you know how we are. Yeah, it, yeah. Let's see. I'm going to see if I can find it while we're here, just for the heck yeah, of it. yeah. If you can find it, let me know because it would be cool to have that on our website. Anyway, uh, now, for, but yeah, this uh, this is a, a form. Like now, we're going to have mayors. Now we're going to have a city council. Um, so they're introducing all that um, and and voting. I think they're. He said, I read a letter by um, Claiborne. Said the vote turnout was kind of low. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of an experiment in democracy for Louisiana, which is still kind of uh, unusual for us, right? Well, now yeah. this week in Louisiana. So this week in Louisiana, let's see. We celebrate the Eagles, the long goodbye. Well, it's a concert. Yeah, is this their farewell tour? I guess it is. I guess so, at least the, at the, the first this one. This is at the Smoothie King Center at uh, 1501 Dave Dixon Drive in New Orleans. The event will be February the 17th. And in this venue, uh, the Eagles will perform an unforgettable evening of legendary music, I guess, again, as a farewell part of the farewell tour. Uh, do we have a website for that? I'm sure we do. Or uh, yeah, yeah, you can buy these tickets online. Um, and um, they're kind of cool. I mean, they're one of my bands, right? From my um, um, from my growing up. Children of the seventies. Yeah, welcome to the Hotel California. Are we ever going to get out of that Hotel California? What was the Smoothie King Center? <laughs> You know, they they keep you know, selling their name naming rights. Oh, here we go. Opening maps. All right. Oh, it's right behind the Superdome. Okay. Um, if we look at HNOC or contact them, they probably would know where to look. There's a big piece about that. New Orleans becomes a city, an American city. It says in 1803, but then there was something about 1805, too. Uh but, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they've got some information about, you know, like the act, yeah, act, act of incorporation. Mike can help us track that down. Well, now for this postcard from Louisiana, I'll listen to the TBC Band Play at Satchmo Fest Oh, my God. 
and get some coffee and they're going to eat and Oh, it reinvests in the community all the time. Yeah, I think totally. one year we put them on the boat, the Cane River Queen, and, you know, yeah, I yeah, paid yeah. $20 to go on the trip, you know, but I had drinks and, you know, food and snacks for them. And, you know, I always try and, you know, I'm Southern Hospitality. My mom, I grew up with her. You know, right, right. People, and so I always have food and drinks for my guests and, you know, gifts and whatever I can find for them, you know, to have that good experience when they come here. Um, my guest, um, B.K. Fulton, and his wife stayed at Sweet Cane Inn, which is our parish president's um, bed and breakfast, John Richmond and Kathy. So they, they supported me, and so did the, um, through the BigEasy.com, you know, they own the Chateau Saint-Denis here in Nacket. It's a new hotel, oh. and they put up my yes. other guests. They put up my other guests, so we were was- partnered together like that. I was going to mention that hotel because we do every chance we get one. Stephen and I started going up to uh, Natchitoches. There were like three old smelly hotels out on the interstate. <laughs> you know, it was just something you had to put up with. But this is a brand new hotel. It's nice. up the hill from Front Street. You can, you know, uh, like I'll take uh, Rachel and the, our son back to the room and uh, then when it gets late, I'll go out and take pictures with the, you know, with no cars around. But you're just right there. You're right there. In yeah, the middle. perfect. Yeah, just walk back to the, what I guess, walk back west towards the Cane River where the main part, you know, the old downtown is. Mm-hmm. And it's we went there. I mean, you can walk all around, you know, walk all over the place. We went there close to New Year's uh, to see the Christmas lights. And, um, okay, yeah. It's barely over $100, you know, it, it's a it's a bargain. The hotel. Oh yeah, it's, a, it's beautiful. It's, yeah, Chateau Saint Denis. It's beautiful. <laughs> We're happy to have it, and I was just um, glad that Richie with the Big Easy in Orleans, you know, um, that hospitality that they were uh, allowed my guests to stay there, and we partnered up with, you know, that's what I said. Sometimes I'll just do trades with people, and I'm like, hey. I'm not asking you for any money, but can you put my people up in your room just for two nights, and I'll be happy with that, you know? So you work well, it out. You know, before them, I guess you could use the local uh, bed and breakfast, you know, see which ones of them were nice. But people that are, you know, coming in from a long way away and are used to nice accommodation, they like having yeah. a good place to stay. And, yeah, they have uh, a church. Street in that was that's a nice one, but it's a little smaller, yeah. but it is quaint and nice. Yeah, but mostly they've got bed and breakfast over here. Right. Uh-huh. My cousin well, has a nice. bed, bed yeah. and breakfast. Hers is uh, on Williams Avenue. If you guys come back again, want a nice bed and breakfast it's called Candy on the Cane. I just oh, yeah. was there for my birthday. I was swimming and having me a good old time. But Diane, uh, <laughs> Dodd, and, and, and Cherie, Dodd, they own that. And they came from California and bought in and, and created this business. And uh, Cherie does the graphic design. So for a couple of years, she did my graphics for the film festival. And Diane, she does the um, coaching for the for the baseball team. So, you know, sometimes we come out from different states and come in and, and reinvest in our community because yeah. her mom was here, she grew up here, and so they came back yeah. to retire and and right. business here, you know. And I think it's a beautiful thing that more people like us come here from different states to bring our skills and talents, and uh, you know, just show them like, hey, we're all one people, and we're all here for the growth of our our community. Well, and you know, we aren't where we want to be with uh, improving race relations, but. We're so far ahead of where we were, uh, even when I was a kid. 
Um, and so uh, people that moved away for very good reasons get were culturally from here, you know, they kept the, uh, you know, the kind of Creole identity going out in California, mm -hmm. uh, up in uh, Chicago and places around the, the country. And, and it's not unusual for one of the kids to come back here and say, oh, wow, this is nice now, and move back. Yeah, and a lot of them do. And, and see, me, I didn't know anything about my history or my heritage until 2010, so I didn't know where it even began to go back to or anything. And so right. even, even in that, I caught flack from even my own family that's saying, like, oh, who does she, how does she deserve the right to go and tell that story? I didn't grow up with my father. As I grew up with my mother, but I was around my father and grandmother. But I knew that if I didn't know about my heritage and history, that there would be other people just like me, and they would yeah. want to know where they came from. So I took it upon myself. I left my job acting career for over 30 years. I left my family. I left my, um, my money I was making in my acting career and my furniture and everything I owned. I left oh it all God. behind and came wow. here, only knew Betty from the Melrose Plantation answering the phone. So, I mean, it's been, like, people are like, when are you going to make the movie about you doing all of that? <laughs> well, I, 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 I said, honey, I, next. <laughs> I keep saying that, that, and this is kind of a literary sort of a thing, really. It's literary and psychological. What you're doing is one of the most ancient conventions of literature is, is trying to answer the question, who am I? Right, right. Who am I? You know, what is my purpose? To what community do I belong? Or, or to what community am I connected, et cetera. Those are literary, very literary kinds of questions, but they're they're literary because they're grounded in real life. You know, the, these are mm -hmm. lots of, like idle questions that people ask. I mean, like navel-gazing. This is really very primal, I would say very primal kind of stuff. Yeah, that's the first question that comes out there, Malvin. They, they say it this way. Who's your people? <laughs> yeah, well, we're asking a Straight out. Who's your people? And I'm like, Matoire and Sarpy. My great-grandparents are buried behind the St. Augustine Catholic Church. I say it real fast. They're like, oh, okay. Then they know at least I'm not, part of you belongs. <laughs> I don't know if you've um, met up with Danielle Romero yet, but she's in the, kind of exactly your same shoes. I think she's from the Northeast, as I remember came here hunting family and has been doing better since. Do you remember any more specific about her, uh, Stephen? Yes, she's a McCoy or her family are, and she is also some sort of Native American because her family, some of them intermarried with the, the Native uh, peoples from West Louisiana and something else maybe, and eventually some of them I think were like my grandma. I think they were Choctaw or something. Anyway, they were actually kicked off, the, kicked out of the Choctaw uh, people group, if you can imagine. Something, yeah, it's, it's a wild story. She's been posting about that a lot lately. But they were well, kicked I... out based on the Dawes Act, and and yet they were up until that time were documented and everything. It's a really nasty kind of an ugly story. Yeah, uh, so many of the ugly stories. If you don't know her, you need to meet her because she's. Okay, she's, well, I think she lives in Nashville or Memphis or. She's up in Tennessee someplace now. Okay. But anyway, but she's back and forth a lot. Yeah, well, connect us. I'm not sure. I, I may because a lot of people, especially now that I finished the documentary, a lot of people are connecting. And I, and I lost my Kelly Jackson page on Facebook, so I don't even know. You know what I mean? Because Facebook, I looked up, and they said I was going against their 
standards <laughs> and said I was impersonating someone. I'm like, well, who would that actually be? And yeah, that I, never happened. Oh, man. Too, too, um, I did my ID and all that, and they just never gave it back. I was 40 short of 5,000 people, so I could not oh, remember everybody, and I lost it overnight, never got it back. So that's why I'm now on the Resurrection Fern page and the Cane River Film Festival page. Right. And I'll just, right. And I'll just leave it at that, you know. But I am oh going goodness. to put the documentary online right now. I am doing a fundraising campaign where I have the DVDs and the proclamation. So with a donation, then they can receive these items for free, that's, you know, in the wording. But um, so I eventually, probably by next month, I will probably put it on my YouTube channel, which is Cane River Film Festival. We'll be putting the do- documentary on that so people can now start yeah. accessing the link uh, let me online. Mm-hmm. Have you um, have you found because we know that that some of those people had money, they had means, which meant that they could have educated their kids. Have you found any journals or diaries or anything that anybody you know kept through the centuries? Is anything like that turned up? Unfortunately, the, uh, there's no um, no nothing like that. The only thing that I heard that was a written record was from Nicholas Augustine. He had, I have been um, within the archives there was noted that he had handwritten the book about the births, marriages, and deaths from Corn Corn on down. Now, um, I was telling um, Dr. Peacock in the Creole Center that the Father Dupree, and there is the book in the Creole Center, Creole Heritage Center, um, it just says Dupree on it, but it was a priest at the St. Augustine Catholic Church where he hand wrote all the marriages and deaths and all of that. So right, I think right. that he saw the original book and 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 hand wrote his own, you know, wrote, wrote it from that because nobody has ever seen and he, and and one person he's long passed away. He used to take care of the crypt, and now my uncle Charles took care of the crypt. They passed it down. Anyway, um, I saw in a newspaper article he he clearly um, tells you what it looked like. It was like a black marble colored booklet, and it's this hmm. and that, and it's that what it had inside of it. And then I also heard that there was um, portraits of Marie Therese in, in front of the Yucca house with, with Claude Thomas Pierre McQuire. They had a baby on her lap and the whole family all around them. Yeah. But yeah. all that's gone and destroyed and, you know, those fires that came through with the with the soldiers and stuff. So, oh, I mean, man. it's just like outside of that, only oral history or written history, I've been able to see that of something that they the original people wrote. But uh, nothing else past that or how they educated one another, I know for a fact, and in written word, that Claude Thomas Pierre Matoire took Benjamin Matoire from his Barard line, and he took Nicholas Augustine to France and educated, had them educated right. there. And, right. and that's where Nicholas Augustine got the inspiration to, seeing that the church was the center of the community. So he wanted that when he came back here, and that's how the St. Augustine Catholic Church was built by him and his brother, oh. Louis Matoire, and, and cool. it's part of our family today. That is uh, kind of repeating what the Anglo families did. You know, they would send their kids to, a lot of them would, would go to Scotland to be educated. Some to Anglo, mm-hmm. lots of Scotland. You know, Edinburgh University, they'd go to Glasgow, they'd go maybe to St. Andrews. But they were part of the, the British Ivy League system, or the closest they have to an Ivy League system is what they call the Six Ancient Colleges. Mm-hmm. And two of them are schools that most everybody's heard of, but it's Oxford and Cambridge. Uh, Oxford being the oldest English-speaking school, uh, you know, college in the world, really. 
but then Cambridge, then uh, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Aberdeen, and St. Andrews, those six. And a and lot of them looked at, yeah, they would send their kids to those schools. That was a, yeah. because there weren't any schools here. I mean, you know, Harvard was still a young college and, you know, not that well known. Uh, Brown, same story. Columbia, what's now the Ivy League? Those were right. pretty new colleges. I mean, and some of them yep. did send their kids to those schools. Like, I think Jefferson maybe went maybe to William and Mary. So some of them did go to school here in the States, but some went to school back in Europe and then came back here. Right, and the nuns, you know, with, through the church, through our church, they at the Baton Rock House, that was a school. And the, yeah. it was a girls' school, and the girls stayed up in the little tiny base attic little thing. Up, you, you, there was a little ladder, and I yeah, went up there, wall. and I'm like, oh, they yeah. lived up here? Oh, no. But anyway, <laughs> the nuns educated them. But, you know, it's really important because, you know, at these eras, you know, it was illegal for people of color to to, to read and write. <laughs> you know, right. so it was just a beautiful thing that they these are educated, you know, free people of color. And that's right? what's being yeah. lost in translation. They just, you know, a lot of American movies started when it's just America. That's why it's important for my work right now is to take you before the Americans are here and owning making it America, that this was France and the New World and how they did things. And I think it's important for us to learn that part of the history as well instead of just only always focusing on America, Civil War, you know, and on, on, and on. But, you know, let's talk about when these people were not only free but wealthy and on their own lands, educated, you know, well off, dressed nice, weren't yes mammon and massa and nobody because they were the master. So those right. type of stories have got to be told because they see people of color in the wrong light. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if you've um, seen this picture. It's been going around the Internet. Um, it, it's a old, like, 1830s uh, portrait of uh, it originally, well, not, the way everybody saw it for the last hundred years was uh, three white kids. And it was kind of a ghostly uh, presence over to the right side of the canvas, and it was somebody else, and they finally cleaned the uh, new paint off. They uh-huh. just and it's it a black, a black boy. Yeah, Bella's oh, there. Tree. Yeah, but he's looking like a fifteen-year-old kid might today. Like he's standing there, leaning on the tree, kind of got this smirk. Like I see that a thousand times a day. I've got a sixteen-year-old. Got <laughs> 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 this look. And he's got his arms crossed, and this is not the aspect of a slave. Often in pictures like that, it's got know. a it's got a note of realism in it. I mean, the, the yeah, well, and also, yeah, they had they had not broken this kid. He was uh, he wasn't he wasn't waiting on the other kids. He was kind of looking down at them, and he's the only of the four of them. He's the only one with any personality, and his personality just pops off the page. And there was this whole level of things going on in Louisiana that didn't really fit into the American way of uh, yeah. you know, uh, seeing things. And we yeah, never have and never will. They did roots. And I mean, I, know, I love roots, but I think that that became everybody's mindset. Like, okay, that's the slave. You know what I mean? And, right. and you know, Toby and Massa and this and being beat down. So that's why I came here. I was like, oh, these stories have to be told because they're not the only ones. There were three people of color in Haiti, you know, and uh, St. Yeah, Dominique yeah. And, and the seventh, early 17th century, all of that. So I feel like the work that I'm doing, I hope and pray that it starts opening the door for more of these free people of color, James DeCover Libre stories to be told 
so that we can open up our, our visual and, and be educated to realize that there was more going on underneath the surface and that these people were, had just as rights, they had rights, they, they went before courts, they could stand up because these were French citizens. They were not American, so they had the right that the uh, Africans did not, that came here, that were enslaved. They had rights to go to court and defend themselves in a court of law. They had the right to own properties. They had the right to do whatever they really wanted to do, you know. And that's what we are not taught about. And so that's why it's really important for for me um, because these are my people, and, and, and I didn't know those things, you know, and I'm not the only one. And I just want other people to realize that we are way more powerful than you have given us credit to be. So um, it's, it's time for, like, I am the blood, and I came back, and that's why it's called Resurrection Fern. It's the, the fern that grows on these oak trees out here. When it's dead, it's brown, and it's just lifeless. As soon as it rains, it pops back in and turns flush green, and it's alive. It's been resurrected. So they call that the resurrection fern. And then when I learned that, I was like, oh, my God, that's the name of everything. That's the name of my movie. That's the name of my company because that's what I'm doing. I'm resurrecting their memory. And, and it was dead, and now it's alive again. And that gives you a brand because nobody else is probably using it. No, not at all. Not that I know of. <laughs> and, and, I, and it is my brand now, you know, and the Cane River Film Festival is my brand, and I paid for that too because you have to pay for brand. You have to pay for the logo. You have to pay for the name. It's probably you know? a tra- is it trademarked or something? Yeah, like that? that's what I said. You have to pay for all of that. You can't just like, uh-huh. here I am, you know, and the King River Film Festival. But this well, is sounds like there's written. stuff we haven't. It identifies that, that particular name and, that effect, uh, and everything with it with you. And yeah, it's a, copy, it's a copyright to the to the government copyright office, you know, as far as my story is concerned, uh, my, my film. And the branding, you know, to the state of Louisiana for the Cambridge Film Festival, I own my name, I own my, my logo design, all of that. Yeah, we probably need to do that with our Louisiana anthology logo, but so far I'm going to I know, you got a word, so. Yeah, you look on the Internet one day and somebody's got our shop going. We wouldn't be too happy with that. No, uh, no. Oh, um, do you have, I should have been going about an hour, um, do you have a website or a few websites that you'd like to tell people to, to look up your stuff and follow it so they can get updates? Absolutely. You can find me on www.caneriverfilmfestival.com. I keep a lot of what's going on with me and the festival on that one. I'm also on Facebook with Resurrection Fern, and I'm also on Facebook with Cane River Film Festival. So those are good ways to find me. Eventually, um, hopefully by next month, I'll put it on my YouTube page. The documentary will be on the Cane River Film Festival YouTube page. Yeah, yeah. And that's the best way to reach me and, and find out what's going on. But I do hope that it will be on Louisiana Public Broadcasting. I'll tell you guys when it is. And I'm also trying to reach to PBS. So if you guys have a contact at PBS, I'd appreciate it. I'm trying to look them up from scratch. We're still trying to get a contact, too. Okay, yeah, there's well, a, there's I get a, one, I'll turn it on to you. There's a guy. Them. I have no, no problems of finding people, and um, I will find them. So I'll get there, it to you. There's a guy who is, I think, 
the editor or something or other of Louisiana Life, that, that magazine, that statewide magazine. And I think they're tied up maybe with the with the LPB affiliate in New Orleans. They've got a couple of them down there. Well, I, I got one, LPB without a problem I, because Beth Courtney was, you know, president, but she's retired now. So I already got connected with LPB, no problem. I'm talking about PBS. I don't think it's the same, right? No, it is. That's the state affiliate. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I thought they like, were two yeah, separate things. No, no. It's, I mean, it's the state affiliate. It's just like... <clears throat> one's a TV and one's a radio station. Well, no, LPB is an affiliate of, of the national public, you know, PBS. Right, right. Now, NPR is the radio affiliate. Right. Okay, but, okay. But, but well, I guess still, I'm it's in. Public, it's public radio. But, no, we had won a grant with um, Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities here a couple months back. Oh, wonderful, back. wonderful. That, but that's yeah. part of NEH, the National Endowment for the Humanities. So right, like I've got right. a friend in Texas who teaches some of what Bruce and I teach. She teaches some English and I think a little bit of she's a high school teacher and I think she may maybe teaches a little bit of American history but a lot of like you know literature classes her her background's in history literature and I think anthropology and counseling but anyway she is dying to do a project like ours and we were and I said well you need to get hooked up with Texas Endowment for the Humanities I said because they're like the Louisiana Endowment they're both affiliated with the NEH see that's the big umbrella organization okay. that all of the local ones are affiliated with well, I'm I'm going to looking up these grants right now. I got about six of them on my desk. That I know, right? Today and tomorrow, you know, Southern Documentary Fund. Um, there's a few of them that I'm if looking could, at, and I'm signed up for Zoom. But if you guys, her name is Linda Midget. She's over at the LPB. She's the new if director. We could, if we could get some of that Texas money, we'd be doing all right. Uh. Oh man, that's what I pray every day. I'm like, Lord, you know what I need right now is money well, you, because it takes you, money to get to New Orleans and, and be over there. And then my mom wants me to come home for California for September. So I'm like, hold on, lady, I gotta, you know, I, I, I work for myself out of my home. It's not that easy because you have to forecast yourself months in advance to be all right. And then you can make a right. move. But if you're and like oh, I only got enough for one month to live, you're like I gotta stay home, I gotta raise money. Yeah, I wonder. I'm looking at her right now. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to spell her name. That Linda Midget. M I D G E T T E, something like that. Um, midget or Midget, one of the. I'm not midget, sure something. Pronounce, Sorry, yeah, Linda, if I pronounced it wrong. She, <laughs> she went to she went to junior or junior high school or middle school in Baton Rouge, and I wonder if this woman's related to her. Mm. Well, she's on my Facebook page. So she can. She's on my Facebook. Y'all yeah, are on my Facebook because we, like I said, we need to get in touch with LPB at some point. Uh, we also because we'd like them to interview us, but also we've got a a thing right now where the NPR affiliate, the National Public Radio affiliate, right over here in Shreveport, so north of you and west of us, uh, wants to bring us on for an interview. And so oh. we've got to get, you know, we've got to, you know, write the guy back, you know, email the guy back, of, you know, when we'd like to do this and what we're going to talk about this, that, and the other. So, but they, they've well, offered us a, a fairly long form interview, I think 15 minutes, which for radio is a long interview. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, because we did one in Monroe that was supposed to be three minutes, and the person that was there was supposed to be going to be right in front of us in line. It's a culture show out of, out of Monroe, West Monroe, and it turned out, on some of Fox affiliate, it turned out that the person had to bail at the last minute. So the woman that was coming interview us said, well, you're in luck. You're going to get six minutes instead of three. Oh, wonderful. That's a, yeah, that's generous for like a 30, I think a 30-minute show. Yeah, that's still, you know, again, you don't usually get that. 
Yeah, no, I was on LPB when Beth was involved, Beth Courtney, and she sent them down when I was at the Bad and Rock House doing, I was doing Marie Therese Coin Coin Days at first at the proclamation to proclaim her day. And so I made it into an event for five years. And that's, and after that, I started the King River Film Festival. Well, anyway, right. LPB, I was on that one um, for seven minutes. So I was stoked that, that oh. I was on there and, and they did a beautiful yeah. You know, they do such a great job with, you know, their cinematographer and, and telling the story. So we, I was just really proud. And she's like, you're doing so many things, Kelly. We'll start right there. And then when, so when I looked up the caller, I'm like, where's Beth at? Where's, you know, and they're like, she's done. She's done. I'm like, oh, no. And they're did like, they, oh, no, they, you have to start all over. I go, well, well let hello. me ask you, <laughs> did, did, did they send a, a reporter out to Natchitoches to speak with you, or did you have to go to Baton Rouge? I mean, how did you do Oh, that? no, they brought They sent the van. They sent okay. the whole van. They, they they videotaped my event, and then they went and got some B-roll, and then they went and made go back and made a whole story out of it for seven minutes long. And I think it was uh, – I can't remember what the, that particular segment thing was called right now off the top of my head. Something about the state, the state we're in, or something like that. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. that's their weekly. It's yeah, like news magazine. It's a news. Yeah, magazine. and they they put me in there for just seven minutes. So that was a loss, but you know, hey, it's a new game. Linda's over there. And I can't remember so, the new president, but um, I've been in touch with in contact with Linda, and she sounds need- wonderful. You need to be on their show. They have a program now, and we do too. We, we need to be on the same show, but they've got a show called Art Rocks, and they don't just publicize the work of, like, visual artists, like, you know, sculptors, painters, et cetera, cartoonists. They also do literary artists, and they probably would do a filmmaker like you, and in, in mine and Bruce's case, scholars, you know, literary scholars. And we really need to get on that show. And I think that guy is yeah. also, he's a director Australian guy who married a Louisiana, and he stayed here. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I think he lives in, I mean, I grew up in Baton Rouge, and I think he lives in greater Baton Rouge somewhere, like maybe St. Francisville or Zachary, but he works for LPB, and he produces that show. Okay, I'll check him out, because, you know, you know, I am an artist, too. You know, I paint, and my work is at the National Parks with um, at Oakland Plantation Gift Shop. My folk art is over there, and now they have me um, quarterly teaching art classes at the Oakland Plantation. So, you know, that it's all a part of preservation. You know, we're painting the structures at the Oakland Plantation, around town, um, some of these buildings and homes, and just the culture, you know, might be people picking some pecans or whatever I don't decide to do. But, you know, my art sells really good, and um, now that it's in the national parks, I was just really excited to have a contract with them because I'm the only artist in their gift shop. So I okay. guess I'm gonna. I'm trying to be taking the place not of, of Clementine Hunter, but I'm on her track. So <laughs> I see. I see. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On your Facebook page, uh, and is she? She's a producer at LPB. Is that what her story is, or she's the president, or she's the who? Um, Linda. Yeah, yeah. She's the new director now. Okay. I don't have, that's her title. I don't have all my notes in front of me, but well, that was the title. Also, he's listing that guy that, that I was telling you. He's British or Australian, but he married a Louisiana. His name is James Fox Smith. And my mom, who had you know, passed on last year, she liked that show a lot. But they, they profile all kinds of creative types all around the state. Oh, okay. Well, that would be a good look for me, yeah, too. I mean, Thank you, guys. I'll try to get on that show, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, because I did, um, in, my, in my documentary, we have hand bones. Um, he's a folk artist, and he's a descendant as well, and I mean, just an excellent artist. So sometimes, you know, when I'm up against these guys like James Hunter and um, um, 
who was my friend? He passed away. Um, Michael Miller, Robert Miller, I mean. And then you see Hambone's art and Bertha Harris over in Streetport. Oh, these guys know how to paint. I'm just a baby painter, so I'm not, but I'm getting better all the time. <laughs> so I'm just excited about where my art is at now. And, um, you know, it's just when my grandma used to paint, I used to like to paint with her. So, I mean, it's just incredible when you use your talents that God has given you in the inside and what it's going to happen um, for your world. So I'm just really excited about my life and, you know, the path that I'm on with historic preservation. I never saw that coming ever. I wasn't good in history ever. <laughs> but this this history book has really got me, and um, I'm just you very could, proud you, of it. You could go try to study that somewhere formally. I mean, I had a younger cousin. Bruce would know his dad, uh, because his dad, I think, eventually became the, one of the VPs at Tech. But he was studying with me, and this is years ago, and the kid, the young man, was eventually killed in a terrible truck crash up here coming mm. into Ruston from Vienna. Yeah, he was broadsided by an 18-wheeler and killed instantly. But he, when he studied with me, he was taking uh, technical communication, and he wrote his paper on a very technical topic. It was historic preservation and the need for it here in North Louisiana because we have a lot of buildings, and he was just focusing on North Louisiana. You could look at the whole state, but he's mm -hmm. trying to be kind of narrow about his focus. You have to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and by the way, if you follow these people online, the state, there's a state office that deals with historic preservation, and you, you also need to get hooked up with them. But this, this young guy was studying with me, talking about the necessity to do this because we've got buildings that are literally caving in because yes. they, they've fallen into an advanced state of neglect. And these mm -hmm. are literal historic sites all, oh, all yeah. around the state, but right here, you know, all on the I-20 corridor down to, say, Wynn Parish. And, and that's um, why I started special. painting them, and I started, like, taking photographs and painting. And then as I do somebody's house, like I did my Bill's house, and then they're like, um, can you do my house? Is my grandma's house? You know, and stuff <laughs> like that. And, all. and then so I just paint everybody's grandma's house now, and all this other things is going on, and and it just felt good, like Peggy Auntie, before she passed away, she bought, she had me paint her house for all her daughters. And it was like four paintings, so I did a, a differentiation on each one so they didn't feel like they all had the same one. But, I mean, I never saw myself in historic preservation, especially with art, you know, And but how important it was for them to see that house. You yeah. know, and their mom gave them, and, like, this is our family home. And, and that's what I mean, like, with that documentary and the, the, the proclamations that I have, resolutions that I have, the paintings that I have, they're going to be passed down from generation to generation. And that, that makes me very proud. It's an unusual feeling, but it's, it's a beautiful knowledge that when I've gone into people's homes, the proclamation that I was able to establish, Marie Therese Conquin Day is on their wall in a frame. They're like, look. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so nice. <laughs> like I did that, and it's on well. Again, wall. it shows that you understand the the necessity of not only you know studying history and understanding the the past and the ways also that it affects the present, but it also shows that you have a respect for the physical artifacts of history. You know, the houses. Yes. Uh, yes. And I was going to ask you about that too before we get away here, but various kinds of belong personal belongings of the of the family, for example. I mean, was much of that passed down at all, like, say, plates and salt, you know, like tableware and, and furniture? Furniture, and kind of furniture. You know, they imported a lot of furniture from France, so they're big pieces. So, like, my bill, you know, um, 
Isabel Arsenal, she does have like some of the pieces that were passed down. The Melrose plantation still had some of the original properties, but then they had an auction a long time ago, and so a lot of those things, you know, they auctioned them off. But sometimes that's what I mean. People don't realize how valuable that part of history is until it's like a long time ago passed, and now they're like, man, if we only had that now, you know. Um, so that the best I can do is like. When I first came here, I just started recording people. Uncle Charles Rock, Betty, like we get in the car and Uncle go down the road in the truck. He's like, that used to be this. This used to be that. This used to be that. Over there used to be their house. So I just videotaped <laughs> the area, you know. But when Marie Therese had a vacheraid, a lot of people didn't realize that, you know, she was given 68 acres of land. But then after she became had her wealth, she would have purchased her own land, her own vacheraid, her own cow pasture, and and that's like uh, in another area uh, by the freeway. And so I was able to um, be with the Balthazars who know the people that own that property because it's private property. Well, they let me in over there. And so I was able to photograph and videotape that second property that she owned on her own. And I was able to incorporate that through photographs in my documentary. A lot of people might just think those some cows or that was just some area. No, those Everything that I sold, and I'm working with tourism again through the documentary to tell you, here are the historic markers. This is the yeah. place at NSU, Normal Hill. There's a marker for St. Denis. This is his vachery right here. But that's by the pillars, and nobody even noticed there's a rock over there that has that marker. So I went and took you through the historic markers so that people that were like me or people that live in different states can come here and use this documentary as a, as a gauge to go back and see all these places. Dr. Tom and Laura Albert, they put the marker for Matoire up on his land, and they have a registry historic marker there, and they erect a sign that says Matoire, and they erected the sign for CoinCoin on her original property. So I was able to utilize my photographs and video right. um, and put that in the documentary so people can see this was so, our land. Well, and also, yeah, we, you think about younger people, and not people like all of us, but people that are teenagers, we'll say, you know, down to younger ones and up to maybe their mid-20s. This, a lot of them don't have much of an understanding of history. Mm-mm. And this grounds, these, these physical objects, these artifacts, and right. the land ground this in, in real people's lives. These are, not, these are not fantasy figures. They're not legends. I mean, they may have become legends. I mean, you get my point. These are not yes. these, these these fictional sorts of characters. These were real people who lived in a real time and a real place. Well, and yep. you, can and touch, you can touch those artifacts, or you can at least see them and say, "My God, these were real people." You know. And that's a and part of the, on the back of my uh, um, on the back of my documentary. I wrote just what you said. Um, it will give it will give honor to the memory of history's lesser known heroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and. You know, throughout the South, the white supremacists have understood this for a very long time. So that not right after the Civil War, but mostly with the rise of Jim Crow at the turn of the 20th century that put up all these monuments. The folks who are, at least in Louisiana, working real hard to take those down aren't just taking them down. They're trying to replace them with better monuments, like uh, the uh, Plessy and Ferguson Foundation. That's what they're doing. And Mm-hmm. Recently, the Colfax uh, massacre, they they took down the old sign that was talking about how it was the end of Republican misrule, <laughs> put up a, uh, more like the uh, the 
Vietnam Memorial. They put up a, a thing with all the names of the people killed and a, an accurate history of what went on there. And so, yeah, it, it, it's, you know, it's part of our material culture. We, we right. bring down the road and we see that, you know. And it's been silenced because, I mean, look, at what point could you tell it? You couldn't tell it when you were enslaved. You couldn't really tell it when you were being segregated because that was just, just, that was horrible too. So it's like now we're in a place where we're so multicultural and we're all good with it and all kinds of different lifestyles and people that now we have the voice to speak on our history Uh and be okay with it. But now they're trying to silence history. I'm like, wait a minute. We just finally can talk about it. Now you better cut it out because I'm going to continue the historic preservation over here. I don't know about you, but it's important that we learn from our past. And, and that we know who we are today and then for our future. So, you know, these people's mm-hmm. memories are valid and they deserve to, to still be alive and known in our, in our books and in our history and, and in our, yeah. in our memories. So I'm going to continue forward with what I'm doing regardless of where everybody wants to change the narrative. It's not going to get changed to me on my side. Man, you know, Florida's making a lot of splash with that because their governor is running for president. You know, back when Bobby Jindal was running for president for his whole life, you know, he he used to push the the kind of culture war stuff. Um, but um, you know, having had Edwards for the last eight years, I've kind of forgotten like how that was, and right. I'm worried that it, you know, now that we have a little bit of uh, financial stability again, that they'll turn back over the governing of the state to a Republican who will do all that stuff here. And, <laughs> it's so annoying to work that hard. Yeah. Well, we're kind of closing in on two hours. Do you have anything you want to mention before we uh, get off the air? And uh, once you give them your contact information, you know, like your, your websites and stuff like that, one more time. Okay. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Stephen. I love your <laughs> friends for all these years of continually supporting me from the day one. Since you guys met me, you've been a friend of mine, and I appreciate you and wish you all the best. Whatever I have to offer to help continue with your work, just always call me and let me know. I'm here for you as well. And for those um, and on your radio show, they want to get in touch with me or follow my work and, and get in to see the documentary, um, I'm at www.caneriverfilmfestival.com. My Facebook is um, Resurrection Fern and Cane River Film Festival. I also have Instagram for Cane River Film Festival. So I'm quite on the social media. Um, when the documentary is online, it will be on our YouTube channel, which is Cane River Film Festival. So that's how you'll be able to see it. Um, I'm just doing a campaign right now, and once this, I'm only, I, I bought like 100 DVDs, I'm only like got 40 left, so I was trying to go all the way through until I put it online. So we're almost there, and um, I will let you guys know so you can let your audience know, but I appreciate this time. You guys always give me so much time totally. on the show. And I just love you guys, you've, and God bless all that you're this, doing. You've got to get this thing on LPB, no joke. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to be contacting Linda next week to be like, I gave him enough time to be like, okay, did you watch yeah. it yet? You know, you don't want to like, you got to give people time. You show it, you know, I sent them the link and the, actually they got two links sent to them. I was making sure they got it. <laughs> and uh, so she's like, we got both links. I said, okay. So 
So I've left it at that, and then I come back and I follow through, follow up. So, yeah. We're and I joined her on Nac- Facebook, too. We're coming to Natchitoches uh, the weekend of the 23rd, so we should get together and eat or something while we're there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, hopefully, because we're, we have entered a paper again in the Louisiana Studies uh, Conference. And I, oh, have wonderful. Have they accepted this yet, Bruce? I don't know. Yeah, they accepted it. Okay. Yeah, Shane yeah, so is Shane Rasmussen is great. I've I've spoken yeah. out there in um a long time ago. I probably was like two thousand nineteen or eighteen that I spoke at the um Louisiana Conference Studies. It's a beautiful event. Shane does a great job. He's a good friend of yeah. mine. And um, you know, we have the commissary over here in Bermuda Road, like by me where I'm at, um, by the Oakland plantations right across the street and um Ricky LaCour, my Creole family owns that and it's great, the commissary place to eat. Cool. So you might want to just come on over here on Riverside. Is it? Yeah, you know, we keep meaning to go down there. Where Where is that? Well, it's off of, um, I don't know all my roads, but if you know where the Oakland Plantation is, which I'm sure you do, if not, it's just right across the street from yeah, it. Yeah, Bruce probably does. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's like they got some really good food, and, you know, they're my kin folks, and um, there's a right, self- yeah. selfless plug for them, but... You know, I love everything on Front Street too, but you know, I just well, we like could, this is a new, we, this is a more new establishment. So we always want to continue to support them in their new business. Right, and uh, Stephen and I, you know, we like to come up a day early and do stuff, and it would be great to finally get out to uh, that that part of the parish. Oh, okay. and uh, I see you know, Jack River Commissary. I'm looking on Facebook. Is that it? Yeah. That is yeah. it. It's at Natchez, Louisiana. That's the name Natchez, of the, yeah. That's kind of a funny name for a place, but anyway. Yeah, I left them alone. I'm like, okay, there isn't. Goodbye, sir. <laughs> well, the name, those names, we had um, several years ago, after we had you on, we had our friend Gary Joyner, who's the head of history over at LSU Shreveport, had him on. He was telling us something really interesting about the, the travel of or transplantation of place names. He said, how many of you are, are, are you guys familiar with, I think he mentioned Quitman maybe, and yeah, I said about my my sister lives out in the country from Quitman, in fact. And he said I can go and show you on a map that that name eventually was over in Georgia. I think it may have gone to Alabama. I know it went into Louisiana, maybe Mississippi too. But there's also Quitman, Texas, and it was hmm. traveling. Well, it was traveling because of the people that brought it with them. You see, hmm. they were traveling out of the southeast over here to the south central U.S. to Louisiana and Texas, but they originally were they were from the southeast in Georgia. And just moving, you know, into this area, what was called the Southern Frontier. So names well, travel just like people do. Yeah, and 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 it was like Coyote Joyous a long time ago. You know, it had different names. This area, you know, it's called <laughs> yeah. Bermuda, is that it? So I mean, that's why I got a hold of like the original map so I could remember what what it, what it really was called. You know, like Albertville and stuff like that. Yeah. You know. Mhm. Right. So it's been a wonderful conversation with you guys. Yeah. Uh, so nice. Yeah, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. You're you're just doing so so much for the, not just yourself and your family, but for the state 
and for anybody that's interested in this kind of... Especially those young filmmakers. I really like to see you highlighting them because they need to kind of give them a chance, you know? Yeah, and, and yeah, John Drusbeck won this year as a student in Texas, like a 21-year-old kid, and he came all the way out here with his family, his mom, dad, and his brother, and they were so proud of him to see his film on the big screen. <laughs> you know, it was like that family was like, well, we're hoping that he gets a real-life job, and then they, when they seen him and he was communicating with B.K. Fulton, a major executive producer, filmmaker, then they're like, Oh, we're proud of our son. Like, keep on going, son. You just won $1,500, too, that just paid for the kids yeah. we bought you. So oh, they yeah. were, like, so proud of him. And that's what I'm doing. It's like when you're able to see the parents and the girlfriend of the person that won come there and look at their family member with such pride, right. I make me cry yeah. almost oh. every time I think about it because it, I know. you're investing in their lives and in their futures. And one day they're going to come back and go, the first award I ever won was from this Cane River Film Festival. And here's my, my, my award, because I still don't have awards. I have, like, certificates and a frame. Right, I yeah. I said, this will be able to pour awards for you guys. But today, we guys get a certificate that I made. But, you know, it makes them proud. And, it, and that's going to be their very first one. So who sure. knows where they're going to go in their lives. But I know that I'm a part of that route. And that's yeah. what it means. It's like we have got to keep on reinvesting not only in our community, like you said, but reinvesting in one another for yep. our future. That's how so you build important. healthy communities. That's, Absolutely. That's the best way to build a – that's what I'm about, not doing something that's right or wrong so much as doing something that's healthy, because I can promise you the healthy thing is going to be the right thing. So exactly. Do right. right. Do something healthy for the community, like invest in the arts, like invest in young people, invest in education, et cetera. Yeah, we were able to bring through Louisiana Entertainment. I started a film workforce training program, and that was with the Cool Cooperative in New Orleans. And, you know, Kirby Voss was coming out here as his instructor, so they're buying into the hotels. They stay at Candy on the Cane, and you know what I mean? And we're at the Ben Johnson Educational Center, and these are teaching lighting, camera operation, acting, you know. So these are jobs that take you all over the world, paying a lot of money, and that that was enabling. And then when the first film came out here that I was, I actually told me about it, Corey Parker. He's like, a film's going to be over there. Matthew Yerby was making a film. So I put the teenager, um, Anna, on the set. She was a PA and got paid. She came from my <laughs> film workforce training program. Well, you know, right. It all matters. It all comes together one place or another. And I just gave them the, there's a new director. He's Dr. Ross Williams, Jr. I'm showing his film. His documentary, Women on a Barbed Wire Fence, for 2024. He was a superintendent of Dallas Scholar School. And now I spoke with his students last year. Now he's the director of the Ben Johnson Educational Center. And I told him about that workforce training program. And I put him together with Chris Daly, Louisiana Entertainment. So I hope that they can go on and keep moving with it. I don't need anything from it. I just thought it was a great program. I'm too busy right now to do that again. Well, right. quarterly, but go ahead. Here, here's the contact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You make it happen because these are different jobs, and they and they're for different people. You know, there's like Anna. She's a little student, and she's a home student. But her mom was so excited because that's up Anna's lane, and she didn't have anything in Natchitoches for her to be entertained with. But she came in my class, was early, was loving it, and when the first movie came in town, I called her mom. Like, get Anna on the set. They're looking for mm -hmm. those PAs. 
and she was on that set getting a paid job and met some new people, and who knows what that will help with her career in the future. So yeah. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Passing it on to the next generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well thank you so much for coming yeah, on our podcast. It's been great you. catching back up and finding out more about what you've been researching. And uh, I'm really impressed with uh, with your, you know, yeah. continued uh, success in, uh, in Louisiana. I'll, I'll give you a hard time. Like my dad used to say, we'll all... I will join you in shaking the nuts out of the family tree. So he used to say yeah. that. He said, be I, I careful, you'll shake tree. a lot of nuts out of that tree. Well, yeah, you Stephen guys... loves chasing down those old uh, family tree, uh, you know. But well, I'm a little I'm nervous a, about my family. <laughs> so I, I literally did not know my genetic heritage uh, until, ni- until 1990 because I'm adopted. See? And so my mother helped okay. me do the search. And, See, and we're, we're in that we're, we're in a weird place, uh, adoptees. We're a strange cross-ethnic, cross-racial minority that comprises only 2 to 3% of the U.S. population. We're very tiny. But we oh, I know. Have, yeah, we all have a story, and, and our story is very different from everybody else's in the sense that right. a yeah. lot of us literally don't know who we are. Uh, oh, I know. I've, I'm finding my friends, my cousin was adopted. They're now finding their birth families, and it's a beautiful experience for them. But I'll yeah. end it with this. You know, I have a KJ page. My music page is KJ Kane. Remember, you guys, I'm coming out with an album. I'm going to come out with my music. My first single is called Drama Queen because, you know, I'm a straight <laughs> drama queen. You're, you're getting to be a one-woman army. <laughs> yes, and, and it was just my friend um, from childhood, you know, sort of coming hanging out, and he makes the music, and I like to write, and I like to sing. Well, I just kept that talent to myself, but he brought that out, and I started singing songs. Yeah. And with his song, he's like, let's do another one. And another one, he goes, you know what, let's just do a whole album. So the KJ Kane River page is up for now for my, for my music, and Drama Queen's a single. But it's a fun song. It's universal. And I just really okay. hope this new talent is going to take me into a different direction in my life. And then that can come back and hopefully pay for a lot of the other stuff that I've been doing with movies and documentaries and stuff like that. You just never know. My whole thing is to tell people, just go with your talents that God has given you and the dreams, and they can become real. You just have to keep on watering them. You can sell your song to your next movie. you got to you know, figure oh, out ways uh, to monetize it. Use it as part of the My song is know? in the documentary at the end. I'm singing a cappello, and it's called Resurrection Fern. I wrote the song a long time ago. So I, cool. people are like, you should put that on the... I already did. <laughs> right, right. Do that. Well, no, my phone is... My energy is getting me to pass out of this phone to you guys. But anyway, God bless you guys. And yeah, all that you, you do. too. Thank you. Well, thank you yeah. Take care. I will. You take care. Bye. Bye-bye. I'd like to thank Kelly for uh, being on our podcast last couple of weeks returning to uh, chat with us about her more recent work. I would not be at all surprised, Stephen, if uh, she's back on the podcast down the line sometime. She yeah, does a I mean, lot of interesting things. Yeah, and she's, you know, she's doing these, um, she's doing a book with this movie, this documentary, and hmm. I see, yeah, and I, I guess, my guess is it's going to be like a coffee table type thing, but she told right, me that right. she had been, she'd been keeping a lot of notes, you know, amassing a lot of notes, and I think maybe getting some photographs from family members. It, it's what people do when they're putting together like a family history, basically. Except hers is going to be, like I said, a coffee table style, you know, book. And 
I could see there even being a sequel, like maybe something that would follow through on the family, say, in the 20th and 21st century, though I don't know that. Um, but I guess she's, you know, her, is herself, she's worked in the film industry, so she's got the, the skills and the know-how and so forth to put together, you know, some kind of a screenplay like this. And, yeah, and, to, shoot yeah. it, and to shoot it, you know. Well, and, um, right, uh, you know, I think at the beginning of this, she was just starting to investigate her family. Then it became, well, this is actually a very well-known family. Um, and um, they've had quite an impact on the state and probably the country. So, yeah, it, it uh, you know, opened up a lot of doors for her to go in and find out stuff and then share it with us because it's very interesting. I look forward to seeing it myself, the, the, um, the, uh, the documentary. Yeah, well, it, ought to, it ought to be a good thing, and hopefully, too, she'll have some interviews in it where she, oh, you yeah. know, talks to some cousins and maybe some historians, too, because you think about it, in North Louisiana, that was kind of the the most prominent African-American family up in this, this part of the state, I would, I would think. Yeah, I would think, yeah, and, you know, she was talking about, uh, I think she recorded some of her interviews right before some of these matriarchs died at Things that in a lot of families, mine included, um, falls to the women, especially the like the, the the queen bee, you know, the the oldest one, and she's the keeper of the 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 family legacy. And then uh, they have to pass, like my mother's spell, mother's mother, uh, was that. Then uh, her daughter, my aunt Nelda, she, she uh, took the took the mantle up and. Now, she's in her 80s, and so my cousin, Beverly, who's a youngster in her 60s, <laughs> uh, so, you know, you kind of have to have somebody to keep the flame um, Yeah, well, th and there usually is, like you and I have talked, there's a family genealogist, maybe yeah. even plural genealogists who are actually doing it together, and they, again, they go and collect all this information, and that's it's a time-consuming process, you know, well, and, and a very laborious so process. It can be so frustrating with uh, you know the the multiple people with the same name and the same person with multiple spellings and different names for different places like uh, Pierre Antoine. Well, if you look him up, he's Antonio de Sedea. You know, <laughs> so how how do you make that jump? You know, and especially in a place like Louisiana where you're jumping from language to language and. Uh, I think we ran into a guy who's in French, Henri, but then he sometimes shows up as Henry and stuff. If it's they anglicize those names, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like like that, that name in my lineage. I mean, it was K-U-H-N in my biological lineage, and it was very quickly, by the, by the time the, the, his father got over here in 1739, the, he's the, the one from whom I'm descended is the last of the children. He's the youngest of seven or eight or nine kids. And he immediately right. takes the name, uh, instead of K-U-H-N, he takes the name C-O-O-N. Right, right, right. So he anglicizes it. Well, in like um, my dad, he changed his middle name uh, so that it, this, it was Solomon. You know, our ancestors probably didn't know how to read that right. But dad's a preacher. He's got his doctor of theology. You've got to spell Solomon the way they do in the Bible. So through his life, he was Robert Solomon. He had a friend, a brother, John the Wainwright, who uh, actually recommended him to Temple all those years ago. Anyway, he would call him R. Solomon. <laughs> that was <laughs> 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 But 
would they would talk about you know like dad was a guy who was well known for his wisdom so um you know it seems like a good name for him to have but he definitely changed the spelling uh, from what you see on his birth birth well, did you say there were multiple roberts and solomons in the lineage too? yeah 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 going back uh 1700s there were brothers one was a robert and the other was a solomon you know um uh, spelling the name like it's you know man uh but supposed to be m-o-n so yeah uh, we should after, have thought to ask kelly that after uh, a couple of hundred years of it's, it's uh, people people repeating the names of the, of the ancestors of the predecessors because like yeah. people tended to do that back in older yeah. times you know like say prior to say the you know from say the 16th up to about the 19th century they would repeat you know like a, a say oh. a, a father's name or a grandmother's name my first name, everybody in my family has Bruce, but Robert? You know, Robert at one of our get-togethers, and like six guys are looking, and there's a Bob and a Bobby and a Robert, and you know, they just uh, go by different variants of, uh, uh, of Robert in order to distinguish themselves. But yeah, it was a, that goes back to the 1700s, my middle name. So, yeah. All right, well, for the Louisiana Anthology Podcast, I'm Bruce McGee. I'm Steve Payne. We certainly want to thank Kelly for joining us uh, the past couple of weeks. Uh, if you do get the chance to see her video, please do tune in. Um, this may be like the video of our friend Elisa East in the sense that it may get picked up by PBS uh, because this is definitely you know a piece of Louisiana history and it's very much educational programming. So if you are interested in the, the history of the McGuire family, uh, North Louisiana Creoles, and also just in, in earlier Louisiana history, it is definitely a video you should, you know, tune in and watch, maybe get a copy for yourself or get it for your library and, and uh, you know, get this thing so that, the, you know, more people can have access to it. Again, we want to thank uh, Kelly for joining us this week. We also want to thank all of you for listening in, and we hope that you'll join us for next week's edition of the Louisiana Anthology Podcast. Bye for now.